as a football agent, we work with statistics because, you know, numbers talk in football. And uh, nowadays, you, you can find statistics about almost every league in the world in football. So it's, it's important because the clubs, they work with statistics. So we, as agents, we need to work with statistics as well. Futsal is a little bit different. Futsal, we do not have so much data yet. You know, uh, yeah, yet. Hopefully, going to keep developing. But at the moment, we do not have so much data. So it's a little bit harder to search about the player, to be sure about a player. This is where high-performance secrets in football and sports are revealed. We interview coaches, sports directors, scientists, and innovative thinkers in sports to dissect their habits, routines, and strategies. Tune in for Behind the Talent. At the podcast, I was joined by Guilherme, who is sports director at the Futsal Club Vitis and a football agent. At the podcast, we talked about scouting the players, differences working as a sports director and agent, and his futsal team and their way to the top 16 in Europe. Enjoy the show. Thanks for joining me, Guilherme, the podcast, Behind the Talent podcast. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to dive right into the podcast and, yeah, just ask you a few questions about yourself. So, tell me, as you are sports director at Kavitis, tell me, what does the role entail as a sports director? First of all, thank you for the invitation. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, for that interview. Sport director, you know, you need to be aware of basically everything that happens in the club. And we started this project two years ago, and we're quite happy with the results so far. Okay, and how did you become the director of that club? Mutual friends. Vitis already existed, right? But was of a team that, you know, was for fun. Futsal team. Yeah, friends was playing. And one mutual friend with the president introduced us. And, you know, we decided to invest and to professionalize the club. So that's why he kept as a president and I started as a sport director. Both of us investing on it. And for two years, we've been working really hard on the project. And I wanted to know more about your background in football as well. So the question is like, what did you do before? I know that you were an agent uh, for some time. So how did that go and uh, how did it involve? Oh, no, I'm still an agent. Yeah, outside football. I'm an agent. I still taking care of the players. I have at the moment about 50 players under my list. I'm still working on that. That's what's pay off my bills. So my main business, it's managing football players. Futsal, it's more or less an investment slash hobby you understand so it's separate things i still work as an agent i still have players you know around the world in asia in europe and south america and you know always involved with what you love and football i grew up playing football i grew up in the middle of football so it's hard to get out and you grew up in brazil right right i left my home when i was 13 years old for one reason to play football so i moved two and a half thousand kilometers away from my parents so I could play football. And I played in a youth teams there in Brazil, in a few youth teams there. And while I was getting older and in Brazil, if you are 17, you are not becoming professional at this age. It's getting too old already. So I got an invitation to go to America to play for a high school team. And I would have a full ride scholarship there for the high school team. So I did it. And after that, I moved on to college and played as well there for a full ride. And now I'm here. So you moved 2,500 kilometers away from, to which city in Brazil? 
I'm from the center of Brazil, the state of Mato Grosso. The city is called Sinop, but it's a quite small city. It's about 150,000 people only. Then I moved to Curitiba, which is down in the south of Brazil. Yeah. It's a long way from my town. So I moved down there to play and to study, start to study in other schools and play football. And from there, life kept moving me around. I was the other day, I was thinking how many cities I live in. I counted about 14 different cities, so including three countries. So <laughs> it's quite... And that's all because of football right. or... Yep. Basically because of football. I went to Canada. I lived in Canada as well. Brazil and Lithuania. I also spent many months in England. I wouldn't say that I live in England because, you know, I was not living, but I stayed a long time in England. I mean, a few months in England. So all about football. You travel around, you you know, different clubs, different cities, different places. So you got to be ready for that. Okay. And you mentioned that you're working as a sports director at FK Vitis and as you're working as an agent. So tell me, what is the difference? The role is completely different, I assume, but still you have some, uh, there are some similarities as well because you have to find the right talent at the right place and put them into the right place. So how does it differ? Right. In my point of view, it's the opposite. Because when you're an agent, you're dealing with the club. Yeah, but now I am the club in Vitis. So I'm dealing with the agents. It's the other side of the wall, you know. So it's easier um, for you to deal with the clubs as well. Right. It's a learning. You know, now you start to think as a club. And, uh, you know, when you work as an agent, you know what the club will think. Because, you know, you have this experience to think as a club as well. And, you know, as a club, you are always to trying to, to look for the best for the whole team. As an agent, you're trying to look for the best, usually for, for the player that you represent. So it's the opposite side. I don't think it's a war agent in clubs. It's not. It's a partnership, actually. But it needs to be good for both sides. And it's a learning experience for me from the other side as well. I think we're doing a good job um, uh, with our budget that we had, which, you know, is not the case of numbers, but it's a small budget compared to European futsal teams. And we, you know, we arranged to get to the 16 best teams in Europe. You know, it's quite achievement, I believe. And uh, how was the road, maybe? What actions did you take in those two years to achieve that, to get into the top 16 teams in Europe, basically, from a, such a small country like Lithuania, which has football traditions, but, you know, the situation on the... Right. Futsal here in, in Lithuania is still amateur, right? I believe our club is the only club that is, let's call, semi-professionals, because not all the players are professionals in our club. So it's semi-professional. But the point is that when I start to do something, I try to do the best as I can. And I would not be satisfied just to participate in you. And, you know, the president, Darius Gurski, he has the same mentality as me. You know, it's never enough, if you know what I mean. It's never enough. A year ago, we got to, to the preliminary round. We got eliminated in the preliminary round. We made one point in that time only one point in the group, you know, okay, good experience, but I was turned up. I was like, no, that's not, not the way it is. So then you had to make changes. You change things, you rethink what can we do better. And that involves in structure, that involves, you know, the club as a whole thing, involves players, obviously, and coaches. So those things we needed to, 
to make changes in those things. And, you know, we built a team this year, which made us to succeed. I assume that's all of these uh, other teams that you were competing against were professionals, right? Yeah, all of the team. I mean, in preliminary rounds, not necessarily professional. In preliminary round, because they have small players, small clubs as well, right? But from the main round, the teams that pass the preliminary round and the teams that come in straight to the main round, then it start to be professional teams. And, you know, the main round, we played against the two times UEFA Champions League champions, Araz, and we beat them 1-0. Then it's a different level, the main mm -hmm. round. And we beat them and we qualified to the lead round, where then we took in our group the Belgian champions, the Slovenian champions, and the actual Champions League champions twice in a row, the Spanish club Inter Movistar, which has the best player in the world, Ricardinho. So you know, for us, it's just an achievement that, honestly speaking, two and a half years ago when we started the project, if we talk about being the top 16 in Europe in two years, people would call us crazy for sure. What did you change as a team or as a club uh, to make that happen? Because when you started, you said you went into pre preliminary round and you didn't pass it. And then one year after, you passed the first round, then you passed the second round, then you went to the, into the top 16. So what did you change? What specific actions did you take? Or was it a club's philosophy that you changed? When we started the project, we won the league, right? We had five foreigner players and we bring Brazilian players because every, changing the subject a little bit, but every club, every country has something to export, right? I take the example as basketball in Brazil. As soon as we start to import in Brazil, American players, yeah, basketball develop in Brazil. And we export football players and we export even more, believe it or not, even more futsal players than football players. So, because we produce that. And that's why we start to bring Brazilian players here. For the first time in history of Lithuania, there were Brazilian players playing futsal here and played. We won the league that year and we qualified for the preliminary round of UEFA. And we kept basically the same team as Brazilians and we had some Lithuanian players, national team players, players that we see that we could develop them. We could help them grow. And we had a lack of experience regarding Europe coming from everywhere. I mean, from the president, from my point, from the coach's experience, from the player's experience, could be logistically or administrative or, you know, on court, on, on, on trainings. So that mistake we learned. And I could go into details, but there are many, you know, small things that we moved around. And for this year, we hired different players. We believed in different players. I picked them very carefully. And we had our coach, Ukrainian coach, which did a good job in preliminary round. But in my point of view, to reach to elite round, it was very important that even though we qualified preliminary round, we decided to, to change the coach this way we could change the mood of the team. I like the ex-coach, uh, the Ukrainian coach, Pavel. But we needed to to shake the team. The team was already too comfortable. Wow, we passed preliminary round and I think that's enough. That's what the club, the players were thinking. So this movement of changing the coach kind of shook them. And then we, we passed main round as well. So it was a good decision in the, in the end, even though 
probably the players were, I assume that players were thinking that what is happening now here because the coach was good enough to take us here. Why, why is someone taking him away from, from us? No, I think everybody who followed that, you know, thought that oh, these guys are crazy, Adidas and I, because, you know, we just passed, we just made a history. And they changing the coach. What's wrong? And a lot of people say, oh, but, uh, you know, the coach was changed because he asked for more money or we had disagreements. All lies. The coach was extremely happy and we were happy with the coach. But when I saw that the team was not producing what they needed to produce, then I, you know, I decided that we needed to shake off. We needed to, to do something. It's like uh, when you see your, your kid, your son going to the drugs you know, and you don't do anything, you know what I mean? So yeah. we needed to do it. We needed to shake them off, take them out of the comfortable zone. A lot of people criticized, but uh, the same people who criticized later on had to applaud, you know. And another thing that uh, you mentioned, you chose the players really carefully. How does the process of choosing the players for the team and for as an agent differ? Or, yeah, that's probably the question. As an agent, you... Sometimes the club asks, oh, you, I need a player like this. But you don't know exactly the characteristics of the player. So you send the player, you know, and they say, oh, but you sure? And you convince the guy, even though it's not maybe the characteristic that the player, that the club is looking for. But then as a club, you know exactly the characteristics of each player. I'm not saying position. Position is one thing, but more important, the characteristic. Oh, I need a player on this position with the left foot, you know, as an example. So, left foot, speedy guy, good passing. So, you know the characteristics that you need. And that's what I look for. I was looking exactly for the characteristics to build a balanced team. That's the difference between being an agent. An agent, you have a player. If, you know, the player... Is not even playing very much on that position, but you offer the player for the clubs, and then the clubs need to decide, obviously. Do you use any stats to choose the players for either the team or as an agent as well? As a football agent, we work with statistics because, you know, numbers talk in football. And uh, nowadays, you can find statistics about almost every league in the world in football. So... It's important because the clubs, they work with statistics. So we, as agents, we need to work with statistics as well. Futsal is a little bit different. Futsal, we do not have so much data. Yet. You know, uh, yeah, yet. Hopefully, going to keep developing. But at the moment, we do not have so much data. So it's a little bit harder to search about the player, to be sure about a player. Because we do not have data. We do not have uh, recordings. We do not have much things. So many times you have to go in loco to find a player. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to give you an example. The two goalkeepers of the national team that they will play today, actually, of Lithuania, yeah, yeah. they are from Vitis. I found them playing students' league. <laughs> you know, I went to watch another player, Ginteras Repsis. He came to us at the beginning of this season, but I found him last year, at the end of last season, and, you know, playing student league. I found him, I checked him, I liked the way he was moving. Now he's in the national team. The other guy, Ernestas, he's in the national team. He was playing a student league 40 days ago. 40 days ago, he was playing student league here in Kaunas. So 
we invited him to Vitis and now he's invited for the national team. I find him going to watch the game. You know, I need to go to watch the games because you do not have data. It's very hard to find data in futsal. And do you go to watch the games in Brazil or anywhere else that you look for players as an agent? I go to watch the games. In Brazil, we have more data a little bit, yeah, because the highest league, it's on TV all the time. Okay. All the games are on TV. But also I have scouts in Brazil that uh, work for me. And they travel around, they check what they need, even for football and futsal. And they give me a report, and I read the report carefully. But even though 90% I disagree with the scouts, but this 10% that I agree, that's the 10% that are here playing for VTs. You understand? Yeah. So this is the situation. It's a little bit different. I think futsal will develop very much. That in 2020, the World Cup of futsal will be here in Lithuania. So, 2020. You know, I, yeah, 2020, it will be here in Lithuania. Uh, because of the success that you had with uh, Vitas? It's uh, not because of the success. I don't believe directly, right? Directly for the success. But uh, definitely, it helped a little bit in the terms of Lithuania was the only country that applied for the World Cup from Europe. That means okay. that UEFA For UEFA to, from UEFA, only Lithuania applied, right? So UEFA kind of, you know, gave us two times to host, for example, this UEFA Champions League this year. We host preliminary round and we host the elite round. So because of the success that we had, UEFA gave us two to host, thinking on the World Cup. So indirectly, I think it's, it's connected. And, you know, the World Cup in 2020 for the country, for the development of futsal, Everywhere that the World Cup goes, when the World Cup is finished, the things stay. You understand? So those things... Um, the holes uh, that you build and so on. Structure-wise, yeah, but also the feeling for futsal. The investments, the feeling for futsal. Companies, they start to, wow, this thing called futsal, it's quite interesting, actually. You know, let's sponsor that. You know what I mean? Those things, they stay. I, I'm hoping for Lithuania the same, you know, that... Uh, After World Cup, the sport will keep going up in Lithuania. You told me about the reports that your scouts give you. Again, once again, I want to see the difference how you work as a sports director and, and an agent. Like once you get these scouting reports as an agent, how do you go and convince the player to sign up with you rather than the other guy who has maybe more players or even a higher teams or higher level teams or maybe more money to offer? How do you convince the players? There's a little bit different now. You know, when I first started, yeah, I needed to present myself to show what I can do for them. Sometimes even invest on them. You know what I mean? Pay for the trip or something like this. That was when I started. But now it's a little bit different. Now, you know, the players, they look for me. Players that, you know, they want to work. They want to sometimes to come to Europe. Sometimes they're without a club or Sometimes, you know, they need uh, someone that has a good reputation to represent them in a deal. And that's when they look for me. Then, you know, I ask for their material, their things, their full name. And then they start, start to like, is it worth it to, to work with them? Because you need to put a lot of time in one player. You understand? So that's when they start to, you know, they make the report. I'm glad that I got to the point where the players actually you know, contact me to help them out. So it's basically mouth-to-mouth -mouth from now on. 
you know, it works a lot as mouth to mouth. Players, they know players. And when you do, you know, the right job, you're always very clear and transparent to the player. You know, you try to help the player, things like this. The players, they talk to players and, and become, I can say, snowball, you know. I have this particular like question for you. You work as an agent. You have probably seen the patterns from players who do make it to the top and those who don't. What are the patterns between the players who are making it to the top and those who don't? I think it's a package, more or less. You know, in my opinion, it's a package. The first point is the player itself. The player himself, you know, he needs to be dedicated. He needs to be talented. He needs to, that's the first part. And then there are the parts of influence, yeah? Who's their agent, where they're working at, you know, which clubs they're playing with, who's watching them, you understand? And I think it's all combined. And believe it or not, you need to be a little bit lucky too because, you know, an injury, you slow down career or even finish a career, you know. So it's all combined, I, I believe, that for the players to, to get on top. Players that, which is the majority, that they don't get to the top, they still can live a, a comfortable life, you know, playing in the medium level, you know what I mean? But obviously everybody, I think, you know, dream, especially when you're a kid, Everybody dreamed to be on the top. and But I think when you're getting older, you know, and you start to understand that, you know, medium level, it's a good level too. So not a lot of players make it to, to the top side. Like, obviously, not a lot of, of players. Of course. Make it. I don't know the percentage, but I would guess 1%. Point. <laughs> yeah. I would say 0.01. Like, starting from the youth level, if you consider the academies only. Yeah, you know, it could be, I mean, we need to, first of all, we need to define exactly what is top. Yeah, yeah. yeah? As soon as we define what is top, we can create a percentage on that, but I I don't know, you know. The, and the players, they work hard. It's not easy to be a football player. Sometimes people, they believe that, you know, because they see them on TV twice a week, they believe that, that that's their job for them to get millions. No, it's not. You know, it's not. They have to wake up early. They have to take care of their body. They have to work hard. If you play one game badly, you lose your position, then you lose your club, and then you're out of job. You know, the competence, it's very high. So a lot of players, they cannot have stayed late in, in parties or, you know, they have to abdicate from some things that a regular person doesn't need to. So it's not easy to, you know, it's not just twice a week or once a week. To be on TV it doesn't work like that. And how is the psychological state of the players that don't do well in football? Because I assume that if you don't perform well at the right level at football, your whole life suffers. And I've seen some actually reports, you know, lately that a lot of players suffer depression and so on, but they don't tell it to anyone because in football it's a, such a masculine environment. So it's pretty difficult to admit that you have a depression. So as from as an agent, like do you see it among your players or any other players, or what's your take on that? I have experience not in young players that didn't make it, or I don't have this type of experience, and I hope I would not, I would not ha- never have it. But I have experience in players that are retiring, right? Players that for 15, 20 years play football, and then it comes to the moment that 
his body is not corresponding anymore with the yes. requisites to play you know yeah, exactly to you know his, his body is not helping him to play and he comes to the point that he say okay i need to finish but it's really hard for them to stop to play because you know for 20 years he did the same thing every day and now there's no locker room there's no football friends uh, players that because usually they miss a lot the locker room the talk in the locker room the training every day they miss that and then it's it's quite hard also you know for famous players when they stop they have difficulties on because with the years people start to forget them right when they're playing they go to the mall they give autographs when they stop with the years they start to forget them it's hard sometimes to adapt to the opposite way you know to say like oh i'm just a simple guy now those things i had experience with that it's not an easy job when you stop playing but as young guys not everybody can make it very few can make it even to become a professional in any level i'm talking about but when they stop they have to move on keep going to another other option and how do they adapt to that like do you help them because you obviously have a like idea of the business not an idea you're managing a, a few businesses so like do you help them with them with that or how do they cope with that where do they move after football after football uh, we're talking about uh, you know the guy who retired yeah the guy who yeah. played 20 years and retired before he retires you already advised them to start to do something with football because that's all they know for 20 years they only play football professionally but uh, probably the guy that who retired with 35 years old you know from 20 years old he was playing professionally but before that he was playing as well so all he knows is football so we advise look maybe you want to be a coach maybe you know so start to prepare yourself to be a coach if you want to be a coach prepare yourself to know the methodic part and and to prepare yourself as a, you know licensing all those things those requirements so usually they do they start to listen they say yeah when i finish football i need to be you know doing something and i want to do something in football and the uh, experience could help me to be a coach so they do that uh, that's how we try to prepare them so the majority of them still stay in football in some kind of a role from the ones that i know yeah most of them they stay in football they stay working with football you know because that's all they did their whole life okay and one more question like how do you see the demands in football change over the time because you are probably speaking with sport directors who are giving you the profiles of the players that that they want actually the club wants and you have probably seen the change whether there was a change or not i'm not sure have you seen this change of, of the requirements of the players that they want this situation i think in my opinion changes by you know coaches coach to coach i don't believe that it change by the time at least in the time that i'm working with this uh, i work for seven years directly with that the, in seven years is still it's coach to coach you know it, one coach prefers fast player the other coach prefers defender defensive player you know i think it varies a lot by the coach's ideas sometimes not the coach that uh, requests the player is the sport directors it's but i think it varies to to clubs clubs to clubs and coach to coaches it's not everybody that i always say that what would be of the green 
if everybody likes blue, you know, it doesn't work like that. The, the reason why I asked you that question, you know, because in 2018 and 2012, everyone was praising the Spain, you know, and the, the slow type of build-up play. And then in 2014, uh, Germany won the World Cup. So everyone was like, okay, we love this rock and roll type of game. You know, European clubs like Liverpool uh, or Red Bull Salzburg or uh, Leipzig, whatever the, the team is, you know, the type of uh, high-intensity game rather than a slow build-up fed by the Spanish team. So I was thinking whether it changes by the seasonality or I would say the, the top level. I'm going to say something that uh, maybe, you know, people don't agree, but I think every country has your own DNA a little bit in football. You understand? Yes. And the DNA are different. So, okay, Spain won everybody. Wow, Spain, they played, you know, two touches football. You know, they build up from, as you said, from their own box and come in. And then Germany wins. Oh, okay. And then if England win, they're going to say... Oh, now it's crossing. It's headers. Let's everybody train headers. You know, it, it depends who wins, I guess. But uh, but I think inside a country, you keep your DNA. You know, I can say that to Brazilian clubs, which could be a mistake even. I think they should, uh, you know, develop. They should update, upgrade. But the DNA is there. So it's very hard. Uh, I, I can give an example of a Brazilian because I'm, I'm Brazilian. But it's very hard to say to a player to don't dribble in Brazil. You understand, to get the ball and pass. You know, it's the DNA of the player. I'm not generalizing, but most of them, you understand. So I believe it's more or less the DNA. Uh, and what it wins, it wins. And quality, in the top level, quality, I think, makes the big difference. If you see now, in Brazil, there is a club called Audax Oeste. It was because the coach left the, the club. But this club in Brazil, it's prohibited to use air ball there. If you put the ball in the air, they're going to find your fee uh, and your <laughs> salary. Yeah. So, you know, they play like Barcelona there. They don't win, but they play like Barcelona. It doesn't matter what happens. The goalkeeper gets the ball. If he cannot uh, pass to nobody, he dribbles the striker. You know, that's how the philosophy of the club. So I think it's, again, comes with the coach a little bit and the DNA of each place. Maybe that's why Brazilian coaches, as an example, in football, they are not very successful in Europe, you know, because it's a different philosophy a little bit in each country you go. And, you know, Brazilian coaches, they very, they ask the players, one-on-one, go one-on-one, go one-on-one, you know, go for the dribbling. I can actually confirm that because last year I was uh, spending my time, uh, I was working in Brazil and, uh, yeah, I went to a few uh, training sessions of, of professional clubs and all I saw was... Uh, one-on-ones, passing, drill. like most of the training sessions were isolated, it's all about passing, dribbling, and so on, all about the individual qualities. Whilst when I was working in, in Europe, in England, for example, everything was done by, through the games. So it's very interesting to see these um, like differences you know, between the countries and the way they, the, the they type develop of, uh, their right. players. The type of work, you know, it's... Uh, it comes a lot from DNA. In Lithuania, as an example, it's very physical. Yeah? In Lithuania, it's very physical. And I don't believe that you can change very physical to, to very technical. You understand? I don't think. I think Lithuanians have this mentality of, first of all, is defense. Yeah? I might be wrong, but I, I have the idea that Lithuanians, they think that, you know, first of all, good defense. Yeah? And then later, 
let's attack. Yeah. So they have this this mentality and it's physical mentality. It's very physical football here. So you know it's cultural. So the player who comes usually the players that come here they have to adapt to the football here. It's not the other way around. You know what I mean? It's not the the player. You can build a, a team of Spanish players. You know the whole team. They're gonna have to adapt to the physical games here. It's not gonna the other teams will adapt to the technical game. If you know what I mean? Yeah. But for example, so, you see the example of Lithuanian football not going anywhere, like not going anywhere, basically staling at some point. And should we change the DNA or should it remain the same? I think DNA. It's. I don't think it's changeable. To be honest, I mean you can upgrade a little bit yeah you can defer a little bit but you cannot change my point of view is it's all the development it comes with financial aspects that's my point of view so if you have a budget teams with budget of one million euros here you know what's the progress you can have I mean football one million euros you know that for budget of a club it's nothing and here if you have more investment then yeah you you know you can do so many things that I'm not going to get in details here. But the main point, I think, the, the, the main thing, it's, you know, finances to start to develop football, to re- achieve better results. But is it possible for a club, like you're, you're dealing with Vitis now, you're working for Vitis and you have invested, as I understand, your own money. So, like, is it possible to make a futsal team profitable? That's not our idea. We never started with Vitis thinking about be profitable. It's not a business. As I said, it's a hobby. So the idea is obviously the idea, what we would love to happen is that we have a bigger budget and Vitis paid off Vitis. You understand? Self-sufficient. That's it. That's all we would dream about it. You understand that that Vitis can pay itself. That's all. You know, that would be our dream come true. Futsal is very different than football. Yeah, You're going to a high transfer in, in futsal, a high level transfer. The teams will pay 100,000 euros for a player. You understand? Yeah. It's, it's a different story. So the main point would be if we had partners, sponsors, partners, different type of uh, revenue, you know, different type of incomes. So Vitis could pay itself. And what's the highest transfer that you have ever made? But it would be an interesting question. In, in futsal? Or in, as an agent? Oh, you know, there were a few few transfers that we we made in partnerships with other guys and, and I made. But, you know, I'm not going to come into, <laughs> into okay. money-wise. You know, it was satisfactory for everybody, I believe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I saw that small clubs are not disclosing the amounts they paid for, for the players as the big clubs do, you know. So, yeah, I'm just wondering. No, you know, here in Lithuania, I don't think there's such transfers or anything. I never heard of a club yeah. buying a player, except for FBK Kaunas, who bought Ledesma, you know, a long time ago. You know, outside of here, it happens all the time. Even local markets, I, I'm going to tell you an example. In Malta, they have their local market there. They buy from one club to other inside Malta. You know, they have this type mm-hmm. of things. And Malta has how many inhabitants? No, um, right. if I'm not mistaken, it's about three hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> you know, and uh, the island it's really small, but there are fifty four clubs registered. You know, in the federation, 
54. So it's very, very different. Okay. So the very last question that I had for you, what's the very best thing that you have ever seen? You know, I didn't watch uh, the national team of Brazil of 1982. Yeah, I was not born. But I watched the videos and I watched the, you know, the, the games that they had. Of course, they didn't win the World Cup. Yeah, they lost in the semifinals. But there was no such a team like that, in my opinion. 1982 national Brazil. team of Brazil. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Thanks for the conversation, Guilherme. Thank you very much. Save this, okay? Okay. Thanks a lot and take care. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening for the podcast. If you enjoyed it, share it on social media and see you next week.